a new year, a brand new day. Nothing but positivity allowed inside my day. Nothing but blessings, health, wealth, and love. And the creative spark to express all of the above. I'm talking no limits. See the stacks I've already spent it. And the life I've already lived it. The dreams they are just beginning. I mean no limits. Prosperity through all retirement. Humanity saving the environment. The highest level of the flyest shit, yeah. Hey y'all, you are listening to another episode of The Spiritual Homegirl, where we discuss all things concerning self-development and bettering our spirit, but from the homie perspective, somebody that's going through the journey day by day, just like you. Hey y'all, it's Maria, The Spiritual Homegirl, and this episode today is going to be about mental health. Mental health is so important to me. Ever since we did the Mental Matters episode with Dion Katrina last season, I vowed that every season thereon, I would do at least one Mental Matters episode from a different perspective so we all can understand um, what our our fellow brothers and sisters go through without judging them and without being ignorant. And you just never know what people are in your circle are going through. I was wondering if I was ever going to get a black male perspective. It's actually from my friend um, Ty. Well, I call him Ty, but his name is uh, Tariq McCaskey. I understand, you know, post-traumatic stress uh, disorder, PTSD, is something that can occur in combat. But do you think that PTSD can happen from a perspective of growing up in certain environments and having certain things happen in said environments? And an interesting thing about it is I'm having problems getting this, this particular story why am I having a problem getting this story out? And I realize that it's because our community and just society in general, we have a really fucked up lens when it comes to masculinity and what's supposed to be correct. But I feel like the time, the time is now at this point with so many things happening in the, in the world around us and even our own country that is, is almost similar to spiritual warfare every damn day. We're getting news that affects us negatively or has the potential to make us feel inferior or feel like we're under attack or feel like there's not enough hope. I feel like knowing how to be there for each other when we keep being tested on all fronts, physically with the food we eat, mentally with the things we take in, spiritually, it's just, it's just I mean, shit, financially even, I mean, with the debt crisis, et cetera, it's just so much that we deal with on a daily basis and we need to be there for each other we can't be there for each other if we don't know what we're dealing with. So I'm really glad that Todd shared this story with me. So go ahead, tell a friend, gather around, be prepared to learn something today. Here we go. Peace, bro. How you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. You know, survival maintaining like the rest of them. I hear that. Now, please tell everybody your name and what you do. Um, my name is Tariq. I am a private military contractor. By trade, currently a program contractor for Department of Homeland Security. Okay, okay, so we working for the government. So, do you actually agree with the term mental illness? Um, I don't agree with the vague term mental illness. I agree with um, what you've clinically been diagnosed. You know, saying mental illness. 
know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, if you're going to think somebody has a mental illness, you need to be, you need to know what they have. And the reason why I say know what they have is because so many disorders, they mimic each other. They're, they, you know, like from, and I'm no, I'm no doctor, you know, I did psychology in college, you know. Basically, mental illness to you can be patronizing if you use it without a proper diagnosis. True. Worst thing you can do is call somebody crazy. Jokingly, yeah, like, you know, oh, you're so crazy. My girl's crazy. Yeah. Jokingly, fine, but if you know somebody's suffering from a mental disorder and not because it's a it's a disorder it's not a illness it's a disorder because illnesses if you if you really think about it illnesses you got a cold a cold is an illness a cold runs its course and goes away when you have a mental disorder that is something that you have for the rest of your life and if you know you go into periods of it goes into periods of incubation depending on your environment or depending on the medication you're on. Now with respect to the imbalances, um, what are you currently dealing with? Um, I have PTSD, anxiety disorder, and depression. That was a clinical diagnosis. Got it. What were you experiencing that led to your diagnosis? point in life where I, I didn't have any coping mechanisms. And one thing with people who have disorders, if you don't have a coping mechanism, it, your disorder just gets worse and worse and worse. Well, the symptoms of your disorder, so to say, get worse. And I think uh, what really came to a head is when my grandmother passed. Like, that, that was my world. That was my everything. Everything holy. You know, I worship the ground she walked on. And when I lost her, you can you can say I lost me. And it just started that downward spiral from there. You know. But it's not it's not my first time like dealing with trauma or dealing with something like that. I've I've dealt with it before in the past. And I've had periods of up and down. That's that, that's the thing with depression. You know, most people who suffer from depression, a lot of people don't know that they're suffering from it. And so they go through periods of where it's like, oh, I'm happy. But then when you get sad, you just get really sad. And it's a scary place. It's a scary thing to, like, do that. And I think, you know, even when I was a child, I knew I, you know, I knew I had things that were completely 100% right. But um, I, you know, as a child, you're just like, whatever, I'll get over it. Or, you know, your parents would say, you just have to now, you'll get over it. And the PTSD comes from uh, numerous childhood experiences where I've uh, dealt with sexual abuse, physical abuse, and just um, the environment.
Now, with respect to the PTSD, if you don't mind me asking, I remember having a conversation with one of my male friends who grew up in a pretty rough area of the country. And I remember him making a comment and he was kind of upset, just kind of talking about this actual topic. And I remember him saying, if you want to know what PTSD look like, go to the hood. We'll tell you. And to be honest, I I mean... I never thought about it that way because it's a lot of stuff that forces children to grow up a lot more or a lot quicker, I should say. Now, with respect to how you grew up, is is that somewhat similar or could that be similar to what he's referring to in terms of PTSD growing up? perspective from PTSD on all fronts, on top of the anxiety, on top of the depression, do you actually agree with your diagnosis?
know, I came to that self-realization and that's when I decided to go seek help because I couldn't, at the time, I couldn't comprehend what was going on and why it was going on. And then once I, I said, I need to seek help because I knew something was wrong, but I just didn't know what. And then once I sought help, the picture was a lot more clear. So I do, I do agree with my diagnosis. Um, and I would tell anybody, don't let people, don't let them tell you what you have. You know what I mean? You know, that's like having a cough and somebody says it's a cold and then six months later, you've got lung cancer. And you, you sitting here because you listen to everybody say, oh, it's a cold. Don't worry about it. Take some NyQuil. It's a rope You know, if you feel that you need help, go get it. I respect that. Who's, you know, who's going to treat you better than you treat yourself at the end of the day? You're right. You know, survival instincts. And just because it's your mom, your dad, your best friend, sister, cousin, whoever, just because they told you something, a lot of times people in this guy, they don't know what they're talking about. And they'll say something, and then you'll be like, oh, yeah. And you run along with it, no, and... Later on down the line, you find out everything about that was wrong. <laughs> it's not funny, but that's, I think that's a lot of people that I know with this journey, including myself. A lot of things that I thought were true aren't true at all, or at least not true to me. It doesn't resonate with me. So you're absolutely, I totally feel you on that. Totally feel you. Super fast. You know, like, it's crazy. And, and 10 years ago, because you've known me more than 10 years. Yeah. You know, like, if you asked me this 10 years ago, I would look at you like you was crazy. And I would probably say something equally crazy like, I got weed, though. You know what? You really you really would have. I think we both, now that I think about it, we both were some hotheads back then. Oh, yeah. Like, I was thinking 10 years ago, I don't think I got my temper under control. I think I was still having some problems, some big problems. Um, that could have seriously hurt some people, but um, I hadn't gotten it, I hadn't gotten it under control yet. You absolutely right. You would have been like, yes, yeah, so or what? I got weak. Oh, what's up? <laughs> what's up then? What's up? You want me to roll up or no? <laughs> oh my gosh, memories. Um, describe a day when you're dealing with your your mental disorder or your your illness. When I'm at the worst. Um, it is a dark, scary place. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to say, you know, and a lot of people think that mental illness is not real. It is very real, and it is a very scary place. Um, for those who don't think it's real, they should actually talk to somebody who has a disorder. You know, um, I actually have an idea behind the disorder, but I don't want to, like, you know, put it out there and into the world and let somebody take my shine because then I'm going to have to go see about them. Because <laughs> I, I know where they got it from. But, um, well, maybe not because technically this this will be a poor man's copyright. And I can just take the podcast to court. But um, it's a very scary place. It's a very dark and scary place. And it makes you kind of go into this shell within five yourself 
Yeah. And still functioning. But I was escaping from my reality. And my reality was I'm hurting so much inside. And I don't think anybody would ever understand how much I hurt inside. And so a day like that, it is uh, very unproductive, extremely unproductive. Um, the only thing you're really concerned of is, you know, the next fix to get you to where you need to be, whether it's, um, that's where the addiction, the unfortunate side of addiction is, is, is that escape. So, you know, some people shop, and not everybody does shop. Somebody asked me that the other day. They were like, oh, well, you know, people who are depressed, they do drugs, they drink all the time. And, and that's, what, that's not true. You know, you have people who suffer from depression who, like, I'm just going to go book this guy guy in less than a day. I'm going to jump out of his plane. Because it makes you forget about how you feel inside. Um, funny thing is, what people don't realize is, if you look at a lot of the great comedians of the past, a lot of them were depressed. A lot of them were depressed, and they they thought their happiness through making other people laugh. That was the escape from their depression. Their everybody's different, but the thoughts you have and the thoughts that um, kind of cross your path, cross your mind. They haunt you. Uh, you know, there was a point in time where I was actually suicidal at one point. And not suicidal in the way of I'm gonna like go take one take one of the firearms and blow my brains out suicidal. But I was purposely putting myself in situations where I knew the outcome would be death. I was purposely getting an e-brace point where I shouldn't have been in a motor vehicle. But I did it because deep down in the inside, the disease and that depression is like, oh, you're messed up, bro. It's okay. If you wrap yourself around a tree, it's still the cold way. And it took me a while I actually uh, come, you know, come to terms with that because for a long time, I'm, I remember, you know, even when, you know, you go to the doctor for a checkup and they're like, uh, have you been suicidal? Or are you suicidal? And you're, you know, you tell them no. So it took me a while, a long time to say, oh, snap. I really was. Like, my, you know, I spoke to my actions. I was saying, I'm telling people, oh, I want to die. I just did things that I knew physically harm me. Yo, Ty, can I ask you something, just for clarification? Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people think heavy drug use as somebody on the side of the road, and I just want you to clarify what exactly that means to be a functioning person that is abusing prescription drugs. Oh, a functioning drug addict? Um, because that's what I was. I'm not even sure code it. I remember getting in my car going to work in the morning, I would have a fifth energy in the glove box at all times. I would go to Starbucks and get my caramel macchiato and spike it. 
with about half that since ahead of me. You know, and if anybody out there lives in LA or been to LA, you know how LA traffic is any time of the day, not even rush out, but any time of the day. So I was sitting in traffic with my spike mark um Carmen Macchiato. Uh pop a couple of Xanax um I think at at the height of living in LA, being a twenty some year old kid that pretty much was broke throughout college, living the struggling college life, and then you go to the shop where you're making grand a year, 90 grand a year, you get bonuses and perks. I think, you know, it kind of blinds you. And I, the height of it, I was, uh, I was, I was popping Percocets, like they was candy. Percocets and lower tabs. Mixing them up. Um, I have morphine. I got morphine pills from this kid that I know out there. He's giving me morphine the whole time. I didn't know. And he's telling me, oh, it's perk 30. Perk 30. I was like, oh, okay. This don't feel like perk 30. And on top of that, I'm smoking weed. So uh, I got this cocktail in my system. And I'm literally walking it off. It's functioning. It's functioning. Because I knew that I had to get to the money. I had to make this money. If I didn't make the money, I couldn't party the way I wanted to party. Nobody knew what I was doing. You're absolutely right. They're not somebody uh, on uh, not only how well at the at the uh, text call across the street for a blue flame or, you know, in your local hood, wherever you live. A lot of addicts are the people that you speak to and see every day. Some people, some people who might be your close friends are at, and you don't even know that they're at. You know, there's no faith to um, addiction. Um, but I was, I was just trying to escape. Hey, this is this is pre-diagnosis. Because I didn't know what was going on. I was just doing it. Because I knew it made me feel good. And I didn't want to feel bad. You know, I'm, you know, and even as a kid, like, I've always been that person that could stand in a room full of people and always feel by myself. Always. Even that. I could be in a room full of my friends and my family, but I always feel by myself. And it's, it's, it's somewhat surreal. You know, on good days, it's surreal. On bad days, it is just, it's the worst. Like standing in a room and you scream, 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 and nobody hears you. You know, um, I always say, look, somebody in their eye. The handful of people who I, you know, who I know, Especially when I was living in California, a good friend of mine, shout out to Cody Max. Um, Cody is the one who saved me. 
from myself. And Cody made me realize, like, it's okay to not be okay, bro. And you're not okay. Cody came to my house one morning and he just looked at me. And the way he looked at me, it was like, finally, somebody sees. And he was like, let's go to breakfast. I was like, all right, we want to go to breakfast. Mind you, Cody is from La Jolla, California. He comes from, you know, he's affluent. Put it like that. Affluent little white kid from La Jolla. Was like, let's go to Roscoe. I'm like, which one? The one on Pico. I'm like, oh, you want to go to the hood one? You don't want to go to Long Beach? He's like, nah, I don't know how to cook ocean. I was like, okay. And me and Cody sat up in Roscoe's chicken and waffles. And had a long conversation. And he dealt with the same thing that I'm dealing with. And at that point, I was like, oh my God, I'm not on myself. I'm not the only person that looks like this. So I'm not the only person that deals with this. And Cody saved me from myself. I haven't used the hard drugs since. And I've actually been physically hurt where my doctor would actually give me like, hey, give these perks, and I would just tough it out. To this day, I'll tough it out. Now I just stop filling prescriptions. I don't even fill prescriptions. The doctor will give me a hearing. And be like, oh, okay. And I throw them in the garbage on the way out the door. And it's crazy what a lot of people don't know that you go through, you know. Most of us who have this, who have suffered from depression or, you know, mainly depression and PTSD, not so much, not so much the anxiety, because the anxiety is something that shows, you know. You know, it has symptoms. Some people hyperventilate. Um, but the depression is it's quiet. The PTSD, if, unless you know what you're looking for, you're not really gonna, you just gonna think, oh, someone's always jumpy, or they're always like extra cautious for whatever reason. And, you know, but the depression is the thing that's very, like, that's the silent Just people suffer from it. And some people suffer from it so, so long and it's so bad that they want to take it their life. Thank you for giving us that clarity, um, especially myself. Um, seeing how I, I've known you for a decade plus, I feel, I feel so, I feel bad, to be honest with you. I, I really wish... And I mean, me being all the way in Atlanta, I, I still wish that I had been there more. It's like, what do, what can our loved ones do to, to better assist? I think, honestly, like anything in life, it's really about the communication. Like, you know, 
you know, we might not talk every day and we might not talk all the time, but every now and again we shoot each other voice notes and, or text messages like, yo, you all right? You good? Everything straight? Like, and sometimes that's all it takes because it doesn't take much for somebody to want to open up, especially if they know, you know, like if, if you know somebody and you know them intimately, like this is your, it's your eighth, your sister, your brother, your father, your mother. All, sometimes all that person wants is somebody just, hey, you right? And naturally, you're going to be like, oh, no, you know, like me. And naturally, I was like, no, I'm good. And then somebody was natural more like, are you sure? Um, I think it's, it's the communication and making somebody feel comfortable. To, uh, I think, um, especially in our community, um, my parents are from the Caribbean. You know what I mean? So growing up in a, in, in, in a West Indian household is no easy task. And not only are my parents West Indian, but they are also, um, you know, are the African-American community you know, there was that kid that we grew up with who actually really had something wrong with him, but everybody's like, yeah, yeah, ain't nothing wrong with him. He's just looking for attention. It was like, no, there's something wrong with him, for real. And I think um, the, 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 the most part that what people really need to do is make somebody feel comfortable, you know, especially if you have an idea. Um, depression, you know, it is a silent killer. And unfortunately, there's no, you have to pay attention to a person. You have to pay attention, you have to pay attention to how they move. You know, so if you know your friend, and anytime they come out the house, they dapper band, like, you know, wardrobe is always impeccable. And they start to let themselves go, that's a thought, you know, when the, the you know, the out, the most, you know, the outgoing one in the crew who's always down for a good time and always, if they start closing in, then the communication stops and they, you know, when you see them, they're not the same jovial person that you know. That's when it's time, time to start asking questions like, yo, are you good? Are you sure you good? You know, make them feel comfortable. You know, different strokes for different folks. You know, some people you gotta like black out on like, and and black out not like scream and curse at them and all that, but you gotta kind of like bully them into talking about their emotion. You know, and some people you just you know have to understand that they'll come to you when it's time for them to come to you. But those, you know, those those telltale signs will tell you that, you know, sometimes you have to intervene on that person. You have to intervene to that person. You have to go in and, and you know, hug them. You know, I think um, recently, I was saying when my grandmother died and like my world kind of came crashing down a childhood friend that I haven't seen in 20 years 
ran into me and they heard what happened. And they just looked at me. And when they looked at me, it was like they knew. And they just gave me a hug. And that hug, like, I had the greatest cry ever that night. I'm not afraid to admit that I'm a grown black man and I cried. You know what I mean? I think, um, and it took me a while to get here. That's why I'm proud to say I will cry. And I will let you know I will cry. If I'm, you know, if I'm that at that point. Because I've never, you know, grown up in my house. You know, you weren't, you a man. Don't show no emotion. Don't be, you know, stop acting like a little girl, crying and shit. You know, and, you know, our parents, they thought that was okay. But realistically, they fucked up a lot of these kids out here. They fucked up a lot of us by doing that. Because that's why we don't show our emotions. That's why it's hard for us to open up. That's why a lot of us will suffer silently from depression. Because we don't, we don't, we're not in, we didn't grow up in environments where it's, oh, talk about your feelings. You know, I remember a, a white colleague of mine, he has, you know, he was a little bit older than me. And, um, that is house, and his kids were fighting. And he was like, oh, hold on. And I'm like, watching him as he interacts with the kids, he puts them on two opposite ends of the room. And he's like, what is wrong? Talk about your feelings. Why are you guys doing this to each other? And I'm looking at him like, what? When I was their age, we just picked my face up on the floor and go to bed. Because that's what was told to us. And if, we, and if we were still crying in the bed, somebody would shout from the bedroom or the living room, you want me coming in and give you something to cry for? Like, what did you just do, though? So, you know, um, for anybody out here listening, or out there listening, um, you have kids, especially if you have little boys, you know, talk to them about their emotions. Don't, don't stifle that. Make them, you know, our kids are supposed to be better than we are. We're supposed, our kids are a new and improved version of us. We're supposed to make them that way. Don't raise your kids the way you raise. If you, if you raise in, you know, duress, so to, so to say, or, you know, not really duress, but if you were raised in um, the adverse environment, don't raise the kids in an adverse environment. Don't, don't let that, you know. And that, that goes for boys and little girls, but for especially black men. You know, you got a little, you got a little king that you raise them, raise them, and show them that it's okay to be vulnerable. And it's okay to show them emotion. Because you're giving him building blocks. But when he's an adult, he learns how to cope with those emotions because he learned as a child. He's not, you know, he knows how to deal with anger. So your child is not lashing out and hurting people because he's angry. 
with the um the the households because in a lot of households um a lot of minority households it is taught that emotions especially for little boys is soft like you know stop stop being don't be a sissy don't be acting like a little girl you know i've known some men that said they father told them stop acting like a little bitch verbatim stop acting like a little bitch that's some whole shit crying like verbatim i'm talking like preteen 12 13 14 years old being sold by their fathers or sometimes by their mamas stop acting like a little bitch and it's just like damn that is that's extremely repressive and a part of you wants to like be angry at a, a man who can't or even a woman that can't express their emotions but then it's kind of like you can't fault them on the strength of that's all they know is repression oh yeah um you know <laughs> i look at it as Oppressed becomes the oppressor. And not to, you know, get too political in Trump's America, but um, if you look at slavery, everything that the black community does and has learned, the program we have learned over the years, is plantation politics. The repressions of emotions, you know, like, you know, our ancestors want to. Andrew Jackson in the head, you know, or Justin, whatever one got all the place pregnant. Well, in, in my book, all of them got all the place pregnant. But, um, you know, our ancestors wanted to do that. But then they, they were beaten because they expressed themselves. And then now, when, you know, if you look at young black boys, these young black women, and the whole, oh, don't be a sissy, stop acting sissified, don't be a bitch. Guess what? That's the equivalent of you telling me to pick cops all day, mess my hands up, do back-breaking work, and then beat me because I told you, boss, I'm tired. Damn, that's deep. And we have a community, we have to stop that. You know, stop, you know, I tell people all the time, stop raising a cast person. Raise a whole complete person. You know, if you raise a whole complete person, you know, and, and, and it's funny because I've seen a post the other day on Instagram. And when I've seen that post, it was like, wow. It was like, I can't wait till I have better. So I can't wait till I have a son. So all you do, all you things that did me dirty, you can do your daughter's dirty. What? What? 
coming from um with all that and i'm really glad that you went on that whole um topic of the community because i was actually going to ask you that um what you thought about you know how that works and in terms of growing up and household and um also with lashing out and like you said with promiscuity or even with people being um violent like you know i know people that will fight all the time because they just wanted love. They would just fight, 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 fight. Then that was how they got their attention. So I, I understand what you're saying in terms of people going to the extreme because there's something missing. I feel you on that. I, I told totally you. Try to hurry and put it up. <laughs> told your friends or your family about your diagnosis? I 
control too many people. Everybody wants to put their hands in the pot. And I don't need everybody's hands in the pot because a lot of this, you have to figure out yourself. You know, it, it's the, it's, this is one of the journeys in life that I have to go on by myself and I can't bring people with. Now, when you told them, was that a productive conversation between you and your parents? Initially, no. Because my parents had been together since I was born. Like, well, they were married, but then, like, by like two or three, they were divorced. So it became the blame game. Oh, he did. He did. He did. She did. And I had to sit down with them separately and be like, and this is where you fucked up. And this is why. And I think once I had that conversation with them, they understood. And they stopped trying to, you know, pass the buck. So to say. There's a lot of people that are a little nervous on being able to break the news to their family. What advice would you give them to get that conversation going? counterproductive with gaining understanding and one thing I wanted to kind of run by you um it was one of my homegirls Dion Dion Katrina she was the first in my mental matters um series and she said that something that was a trigger for her that was counterproductive was using religion and basically you know pray it away or have you know have faith and you know in quoting scriptures and all that other stuff and it, she said you know that was a trigger for her and it wasn't cool. And I'm just kind of curious to what are some things that kind of give you a trigger where it's kind of like, all right, like you're not helping. Chill out. Um, I think, um, I'm a bottler. I'm a bottler. I bottle things up for a long time. And usually what triggers it, 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 it has to be something traumatic. Um, whether it be a death in the family or, you know, um, a relationship, whether it's a, a actual romantic relationship or a friendship that just runs its course or it just goes south for whatever reason, usually those are things that kind of um, trigger it 
to come like really happy. You know, to kind of put it in perspective, like, you know, those things really bring you to that dark place. Um, or um, certain memories. Um, recently, I was, I was uh, you know, I'm, 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 in, I'm in New York a lot. And um, recently, I drove by, I was in a neighborhood that I grew up around, and some things happened in the neighborhood when I was a child. And I drove past the house. And like instantly, all those feelings came back out of nowhere. And, you know, it was one of those things where it's like, like, uh, you know, you would think that you get over it, but it's a trigger. Um, Certain people, certain individuals, um, you know, I... I am a vibration kind of person mm-hmm. and I feel people out and just some people's attitudes and uh, their demeanors, the way they, those, that can trigger it, you know, especially when it comes to like uh, the workplace because, you know, when you go to work, you're susceptible to all kinds of energy. Yes. You're not, you know, you're not immune. You know, it's different if you sit in your house all day. Guess what? The only energy that's in your house is yours. And if you even, you know, if you keep it on the even keel, you won't have to worry about bad energy in your house. But when you walk outside your door, you pick up the energy from outside. And mm-hmm. some people just bring that energy and it makes things worse. So those are some of my tricks. Uh, alcohol. And uh, heavy alcohol consumption, I'll say that. Not alcohol per se. Um, I used to drink all, I used to, I used to put it down, you know. Yeah. You know, you know. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> but uh, I don't drink like that anymore. Partly because my ass gets too old to that. And if I get drunk on, on Thursday, I'm not recovered till Tuesday. So, yeah, recovery time um, is different nowadays. What are some things that I'm sorry, go ahead. You said bad vibes? Yeah, man. 
vibe, you know, being around that, that energy throws me off. 100%. No, I, I, I can I can feel you on on the sometimes people don't realize what they take with them when they interact with other people. And it's like, even though the interaction itself isn't drama, it's just, it's drama on the strength of the vibe, though, of the energy. You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, if that's what you're referring to, then I, I can totally relate to that. Yeah, we all got that friend we don't, like, go nowhere with. And <laughs> we go out, they start some ish. You want to fight people. They can't hold their liquor. And you just like, bro, why do you even bring that? <laughs> oh, man. Man, I, I, yeah, I've, I've definitely, I've definitely, I think we've all had a friend like that. The one you had to carry out the club or, you know, make sure they made it to their house, okay, walk them in, throw them on the bed. stupid, funny parking lot of my friends, because I live in, you know, I live in the other side of the track before I got right. Man. Before I got Now, Todd, what are some things that we can do to be more supportive with the exception? I know you mentioned, you know, nudging just a little bit, just kind of double checking for clarity, you know, popping in, making sure everything is cool, doing a pulse check, making sure everything is straight. What are some other things that we can do to, to you know, show support and be a safe space for our loved ones who might be dealing with something like this? I've seen 
saved their life. This is my first time to go to this, this uh, group meeting. And, you know, if, you know, for those who know me and are listening to this, uh, you know, I just said, what's up, bro? What's going on? You know, typical me. Yeah. And he just started this emotional jump. And initially, it kind of threw me off because I'm like, uh, but I was like, I just sat back. I listened to him. And about a month later, he pulled me aside. He's like, um, you might not believe me when I tell you this, but you saved my life. I was at Winston. And I was ready to quit. And sorry if I get a little shit up with the shaking. Um, when I heard him say that, I've been there. I've been there before. I've you know more than once. I've been there. I've been there with that, and I know what kind of hopelessness you have to feel to be there. Now, is there anything else that you would like us to know? Um, 
don't really come at all. I really feel like I was at therapy. I ain't gonna lie. <laughs> <laughs> like, my therapist gonna be, be like, look, just give me your degree, I'll put my name on it. You're so stupid. <laughs> Did you just say like Elsie and Frozen? Uh-huh. Let it go. Man, I heard that song. Who's one of my homegirl's daughters was like obsessed with that song. It, man, just oh, she was adorable though. And I would just be like, you know what? Run it back. Run it back. Go ahead, sing it again. Like, <laughs> it's so true. It's it's so true. Let it go. Like, who knew that? <laughs> Disney or whatever the hell, a cartoon could kind of like reaffirm something that we know we should be mindful of. Watch life. But um, definitely, 
definitely. Um, you can uh, get my email address. Um, get my email address. Email me uh, if you guys need any uh, resources. I know a couple people, friends, uh, vets out there, go through it. Um, and the reason why I say that is because. I am a PMC, and I have a lot of friends that are there. So I have a lot of friends that are serving in the military. Um, you know, go to the VA. If you don't want to go to the VA, you know, find a support group to go to. Get it out. You know, I definitely understand that nobody knows what you've been through because your life wasn't ordinary in the sense of your career path or, you know, what you chose for a career at the time, whether you get in or out. So I would tell you, don't get help. I just want everybody to get help, honestly. You go do it, get help, you know. You don't want to talk to your family, go get a therapist. I heard it would do before Obamacare gets revealed. I don't try to do that for that, but, um, Yeah, we already know changes is coming. Or changes are coming, excuse uh-huh. me. If, if you're going through it, go get help. You know, and don't do it for anybody else. Don't do it for anybody. Do it for yourself. Because you deserve it. You deserve, you deserve, everybody, we all deserve happiness. And you deserve to have So don't do it because I'm telling you to do it or your family's telling you. Do it because you want to. Do it because you want to feel better. Do it because you want to break for yourself. You know. And that's all I really understand about that. I feel that. Everybody deserves happiness and do it for yourself. I, I'm really glad we ended it on that note. Ty, I'm hella proud of you. Like, everything that was going on back then when we first met we've grown so much i've seen you grow so much you have gone through a lot clearly some a lot of shit i didn't know honestly until you you told us in the world today i'm hella glad you're in my village bro for real yes so family hell yeah and that was today's episode i hope y'all learned something from it i mean i know i did even re-listening to it Please feel free to let me know what you thought of this week's episode. You can find me at spiritualhomegirl.com. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram at spiritualhomegirl. YouTube, spiritualhomegirl now. Very close to getting that tightened up with the YouTube channel. Spirit Homegirl on Twitter. Um, I want to give a note of gratitude as I do every episode to you all for listening. No listeners, no show. I mean, it's pretty cut and dry, you know. Like out of all of the podcasts that are out there, seemingly new ones coming up every single day. You guys decide to check me out and lend me your ears for about an hour or so every week. And I'm really grateful for that. That means a lot. Before I get all super duper emotional, I'm going to go ahead and call it a night. Thank you very much for listening. My name is Maria. This has been another episode of The Spiritual Homegirl. And as always, trust the journey and trust yourself. Peace. Trying to stay clear. Out my way. Keep the problems in the past we had in yesterday. God bless you. Your loved ones, be thankful where you at. Don't forget where you come from. I'm talking no regrets. See the past and past us by, and the future's on the horizon. But right now is where we live life. Ain't no rejects. 
All you have to do is believe Just ask and you'll receive Everything is meant to be